Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You have tuned into the Daily Roundup on this, a Monday, April 3rd, 2023. I'm David Menzies and my co-host, well, let me tell you a little bit about my co-host. Folks, do you know that today is National Film Score Day? And when my co-host wants to get inspired, she puts on her Batgirl costume and listens to the Hans Zimmer score from The Dark Knight Rises. Look out! She is the she-devil with a slingshot. She is the Khaleesi of the greater Coburg area. She is Tamara <laughs> Ugolini. How you doing there, Tamara? Such a missed opportunity. I could have wore my son's bat costume mask over my eyes today. Wouldn't have that been a fun way to kick off our oh, daily roundup? I bet you could rock that costume, uh, Tamara. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I'll tell you, you know, there is some great film scores out there. And I actually bought that soundtrack from The Dark Knight Rises because that is absolutely fantastic uh, music, especially when it's put to a Batman theme. So anyways, I hope, however you celebrate National Film Score Day, I hope you have a great day at it. So, I hope Tamara, you celebrate um, it with uh, the windows wow, down. packed agenda as always, and we have to have a hard end at two o'clock. And I think this is when you step in and tell the folks out there what it is we are ostensibly trying to do here. Yeah, lots of news to cover today on this Manic Monday. Uh, so you are watching our Daily Roundup. And for all of our viewers at home, it's a chance for us to bring you some commentary live and have you also engage back with us. So we are currently streaming on a few different platforms, Rumble, Odyssey, Getter, Twitter, and the one that we love, we hate to love, love to hate, is YouTube. Uh, so you can chat with us directly but no longer on youtube because uh we engage apparently according to them in wrong think and wrong speak so we have been completely demonetized by youtube and no longer gain any traction or revenue on that platform so if you're joining us at home i would urge you to go over to rumble or odyssey and where you can engage with us using a super chat or a hyper chat um, because we want to get some of your feedback on some of the hot topics that we are going to delve into today. And the first of which is going to be the climate alarmism, and namely here in Canada, how our cost on how we're supposed to offset carbon footprint and carbon output is just going up. So the taxpayers are really bearing the weight of the financial strain for government carbon-related policies, thanks to the Justin Trudeau liberals and their climate alarmism. So we have an actual minister dedicated. He's the environmental minister, but he's also now the minister of climate change. Um, they're not questioning. Like they're, they're, It's very clear, the science, they say, that the, the climate is in fact changing and we need a minister dedicated to addressing this. And so we uh, have the Honorable Stephen Gilbo. He has recently been, I guess, David, how do you put it, called out uh, by some mainstream media journalists um, about how the carbon tax, which is not an April Fool's Day joke, it did just go up on April the 1st amid record inflation and an inability for Canadians to feed their families and heat their homes. Um, we are face facing a looming recession. But nonetheless, the Liberals went ahead with not only giving themselves a pay raise on April 1st, but also simultaneously 
hiking up the carbon tax. And uh, we have a, a little video of him getting some pushback from a journalist on who the ones that are being harmed primarily by this tax hike really are. Minister, respectfully, I'm looking at the, the PBO's report right now, and he goes through each quintile uh, of the income brackets. In Alberta, each and every quintile will see a net loss. In Saskatchewan, all but the very lowest income, and the same in Manitoba. So I take your point that it is progressive, uh, but, but in those instances, in those provinces, it's only the, those at the lowest part of the income scale that will see any net benefit. Everybody else, and certainly those in the second income bracket, are not exactly you know, the richest of Canadians. And, and once again, when your government said what this program was intended to accomplish, it made a promise to Canadians that they wouldn't be out of pocket for it. If a majority of Canadians are, can, and I'm not saying that the merits of the program, I'm not debating the merits of, of carbon pricing in this. I, I'm just trying to ask you if you understand why there are Canadians right now who are facing such tough financial times who are saying, you know, like, can you put a pause on this? Can you help us out? Because it, it isn't like the rebates are covering it all. Well, we're doing a number of other things, Vashi, to help Canadians and to support Canadians through the transition to a, a lower carbon future, uh, like a, a program to help people to get off uh, home heating oil, which is much more expensive, much more polluting than, than using heat pumps, for example. So we're working with a number of juris jurisdictions across the country to, to do that. And as you said in, in, in the introduction about the parliamentary budget officer, I mean, he, he acknowledges that. Uh, he doesn't take into account the cost of of uh, and the of the impacts of climate change. And let me give you just one example. Summer of 2021 in British Columbia, the overall economic impact of natural catastrophes that year alone in British Columbia alone, 17 billion dollars. This is some. This is a bill that all Canadians are paying, and and, and I, that's one year, one jurisdiction in Canada. I get and, all um, that, and I'm not negating it. But but that isn't what you told Canadians carbon pricing would be. You didn't say. It's going to cost you, but we'll do all this other stuff to help you. You said our rebates will cover you. We we, we have said that the rebates would, would help the, the, the people most in need in Canada. And that's exactly what, what the system is doing. <laughs> well, well, first of all, Tamara, you know, to uh, get back to what uh, you were saying earlier before we ran the clip. Yeah, I do love that virtue signaling. It was twas ever thus. It was the Ministry of the Environment. Now it's the Ministry of the Environment and Climate Change. So even in a title, even in a bureaucratic department, uh, the Liberals uh, can't help but do some virtue signaling. And you know, it makes my heart bleed that oh, I don't know, 120 million years ago that there wasn't a Stegosaurus or a Triceratops named Minister of Climate Change. So they could have you know helped the dinosaurs walked through that really big incident of climate change, but I digress. So I guess what I'm seeing here is that Minister Guibault has committed the greatest sin of all when you're part of Blackface's uh, liberal cabinet, which is he's told the truth. He is saying households will pay more. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, Tamara, but I thought the um, those little checks we get in the mail uh, every quarter or every half year, however the frequency is, I thought that was the more than cover uh, the price at the pump, what we're paying in home heating oil, etc. But good golly, leave it to a convicted criminal, Guibault, to actually tell the truth. What do you make of this? 
Yeah, you know, that was under the guise of they were they were sweet talking this program was that you would pay more now, but it was like an investment, right? So you would be reimbursed <laughs> and then some, right? The green energy is all about an investment. It's going to be so lucrative and we're going to gain money and you just have to upfront billions of dollars and then we're going to somehow get it all back in this magical, mysterious world of, of the green economy. Um, what I really liked and wanted to point out here that Gibo um, talks about is, is the idea of a heat pump and replacing your oil. I don't know if he's just mincing his words and he's not quite sure what a heat pump is, but maybe a heat pump would work in, in British Columbia or some of those southern states. But, you know, here in the really trepid temperatures of Ontario, Alberta, the, the places you know the north, uh, a heat pump has a sweet spot uh, of efficiency in and around minus five, maybe minus eight, minus 10, up until about plus five and plus, plus 10. After that, they are completely useless. So there is maybe two months out of the 12 months of the year that a heat pump could be efficiently utilized. And to say that that's a suitable replacement for something like oil, um, these, these people have no idea what they're actually talking about. And that just continues to go on and on and on for, it seems like, for forever. Um, and now they're completely decimating Canadians at the banks and their ability to heat their homes and their ability to feed their families and telling us to, well, just use your heat pump. Whereas, you know, right now is maybe the sweet spot where the heat pump would be useful. And every other season throughout the year, it's completely useless. Unbelievable. I mean, could you imagine our beloved colleague, Sheila Gunn-Reed, who lives somewhere in the hinterland north of Edmonton? And even last month in March, there were days minus 30, minus 32, uh, just recently yeah. minus 16. That, that's called a warming trend. So this heat pump you speak of, Tamara, wouldn't work under those climatic conditions. So I guess, well, may maybe uh, Mr. Guibault, um, he didn't finish the sentence. If you live in an area that gets um, temperatures colder than minus eight, uh, please put on some extra sweaters. Um, hey, if you've got dogs, bring the dogs into the house and, um, you know, get close to them. You know, you know the, the name of the band, Three Dog Night, Tamara, that was all about surviving harsh climates. You know, in the North, if it's a really cold night, you bring in a dog. If it's excruciatingly cold, you bring in a second dog. But the worst kind of cold is a three-dog night. So buy some dogs <laughs> and uh, lie with them on those really cold nights if you're depending on a heat pump. Uh, unbelievable. Um, and I just want to know uh, what other liberals are saying because Guy Bo has basically admitted uh, that we are getting hosed in terms of compensation for these carbon taxes. So, um, and I do believe um, we do have another clip, Tamara, of, uh, well, Blackface, yet again, he uh, he's sticking to the script, uh, promoting the lie that the carbon tax uh, will raise the cost of living for Canadians, but put money back into your pockets? Uh does not compute. Let's hear Blackface explain it to us all. The parliamentary budget officer says uh, most people will be paying thousands of dollars more in carbon tax than they will get in rebates. Why do you continue to claim that most people will come out ahead? Uh, first of all, uh, everybody knows that we have to fight climate change. <laughs> but more than just fighting climate change, we have to prepare uh, and in invest in innovating for the future. 
And the best way to do that is to ensure that there is a price on pollution. And that's exactly what we did. We did it at the federal level, uh, imposing it on the provinces that didn't have one. But here in Quebec, it's been a long time that you've always had a price on pollution, that you've had a price on pollution. So the federal backstop and program doesn't apply in Quebec. So families in Quebec haven't seen uh, any shift in the carbon price uh, as of April 1st, as they did elsewhere across the country. But elsewhere across the country, where we bring in the price on pollution under the federal backstop, we also bring in a climate action incentive that right now more than compensates for the added costs of uh, the, the, the carbon tax. And this is what Conservatives continue to mislead Canadians about. <laughs> We're fighting climate change at the same time as the climate action incentive comes into people's bank accounts four times a year. Hundreds of dollars to help them as they make choices that are better for their family and better for the environment. Conservatives still think we don't have to do anything to fight climate change. Well, I've got droughts and wildfires and, and increased hurricanes that prove them wrong about that. Canadians right across the country know we have to fight climate change. We have to do it in a way that stays affordable for people. And that's exactly what we will continue to do. Oh, my goodness, Tamara, there's so much to, um, you know, analyze there. First of all, I, once again, it's too bad to see the prime minister uh, blackface uh, confusing uh, climate and weather uh, again. I mean, drought, wildfires. Uh, oh, no, planet Earth has never experienced that in its um, multi-billion uh, multi year history. But I want to go back to the first thing he said, Tamara, which was, Everyone knows we have to fight climate change. Oh, really? Everyone? Like um, the regime in China, which, of course, blackface so admires in terms of getting things done. The last I saw, uh, Tamara, they weren't fighting climate change, but they were adding hundreds of new coal generation plants every year. And remember, this is the uh, dictatorship he so admires and probably the number one polluter in terms of countries in the world. So right from the beginning to the end, this guy would, you know, had all the ethics of a flim flam man in trying to explain why we common Canadians are paying more on everything because of this useless carbon tax. Mm -hmm. Well, and the question clearly says Canadians are going to spend thousands more. And then he responds with, well, you'll receive a few hundred, some, some hundreds <laughs> into your bank account over the next year while you shell out thousands at the pumps, at the grocery store, uh, to your utility companies. The cost is just insane. And what this government never seems to mention is how unsustainable lithium drilling or, or mining mm -hmm. is. The oil, they there's you know the issue, the ethical issue with child labor, slave labor, unregulated workplace issues in third world countries with mining lithium, and then of course you have your oil and gas sector, which is primarily hard working, trained men who are paid well, who are professionals in their field, who are out there doing difficult a difficult job they signed up for these aren't child slaves heading out to a mine in the middle of you know a mud pit 
Um, so, so they're completely missing the bar on where these energy sources are coming from at their source. And none of this can be seen as sustainable in the long run. Uh, solar panels, wind energy, your heat pump that Gibo thinks will somehow replace oil. Um, they all run on electricity and they all have a lifespan and their lifespan is usually around 20 to 25 years. Mm. So we put up all this upfront cost and then by the time we get the return on that investment in approximately 20 years, the product is no longer any good. So at yeah. that point, what do we do? No, and, and you know, Tamara, you raise a good point. Uh, these types are all about the EV, the electric vehicle revolution. Um, the biggest virtue signaler of all would be the state of California. I think it's by 2030 or 2035. I can't remember. Uh, that's when they will ban the sale of uh, fossil fuel vehicles in California. Funny thing is, uh, Tamara, we're not far off. Oh, and that's nothing. It'll be here before you know it. But right now, California has the deal with roving brownouts and blackouts. Okay, mm -hmm. they have one nuclear plant left that has two reactors within the next two years. Both those reactors are going offline. There are no plans to build new nuclear reactors in California. So imagine taking the inventory of fossil fuel cars in California right now, which is about 14.2 million vehicles, making them eventually all EVs to a state that is already unable to cope with electricity demands. And you can export that model to other jurisdictions, including right here in Ontario, when you talk about a complete replacement. This is madness, uh, Tamara. Um, I, I think, you know, if that legislation goes through, um, I, if I was a Californian or in any region where there is a, a threat of brownouts and blackouts, I'm investing, I'm going into deep debt to buy some good old gas burning cars because that Tesla that you just bought or any of those other electrical vehicles, which are typically more than twice the price of the carbon uh, version. Well, you're going to see those turn into very expensive paperweights, but they don't tell you about that. It's full speed ahead. And one last point on that, Tamara. You think at least they would lead by example. When I see Blackface go visiting uh, with his eight-vehicle motorcade, they are typically big eight-cylinder Chevy Suburbans and Ford Expeditions. Um, no EV vehicles there, no plug-in hybrids, no even basic hybrids, all fossil fuel burning vehicles, which they let idle, uh, by the way, while uh, Blackface is doing his speech indoors. Um, you know, again, Tamara, we see do as I say, not as I do, don't we? That's right. And I, I heard on the radio on Saturday and I was just trying to quickly pull up an article. I can't seem to uh, to get one up here, but I think it's General Motors is pivoting to exclusively manufacture electric vehicles by the year 2028. This is five years from now. And we, I think, will see we will have a difficult time purchasing vehicles that run on traditional fossil fuels at this point. And I, for one, do not want an electric vehicle that, you know, can just spontaneously combust, needs to stop every so often at charging stations for half an hour, 45 minutes, plus, plus, plus. 
uh, has this inefficient battery that will die in the middle of our harsh, cold weather winter conditions. This is absolute absurdity. Um, and I'm going, shoot, we better try to invest in some sort of better fossil fuel burning vehicle by you know 2027 so that we can hopefully have the longevity of a fossil burner while our government attempts to pivot to these electric vehicles for the next however many years they push it before they realize that it's going to be a failed endeavor and a failed investment. This is absolutely insane. I don't know how, you know, these, these companies must be being incentivized by the billions, by the government and other stakeholders to push this because it does not make any sort of economic or um, efficient sense to do so. Oh, but uh, tomorrow, well, first of all, uh, 2028, that's a new date for me. I thought their original statement was 2030, but maybe they're mm -hmm. so gung-ho. They're they, pushing uh, it. Th that's incredible. Um, no, when it comes to General Motors, Tamara, we need only look back on recent history. This is a company um, that has been bailed out by the taxpayer, not once, but twice. So General Motors can roll the dice. And that's what this is. If you're talking about only offering electric cars in just five years time, that is a humongous roll of the dice. And if General Motors fails, guess what, Tamara? You and I and all of the members of our audience, both north and south of the border, we're going to bail them out a third time because GM is too big to fail. Remember that? So they... Um, they're like the high wire artists operating with a safety net below. Um, when you do that, you can take more risks because if you fall off the high wire, uh, you're going to be safe. If there's no net there, uh, you're going to die. And GM has been mollycoddled by governments for decades. So that's why they can do something outrageous like that. But And I got to tell you, uh, uh, Tamara, Lincoln, Jay, and I back in December, as you may know, we went out uh, to the plant, the Camby plant in uh, southern Ontario, uh, where GM is making a huge investment for electrical, um, basically work trucks. We were invited by GM to come there, which was great. Um, but once a blackface got a look at who was on the list for media, we were told to leave the property or be charged with trespass. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, I think uh, uh, Mr. Producer Efren has got the uh, uh, video proof there. That's the security guard telling us to, uh, he went from uh, welcome to the Canby plant to you better beat it or else we're calling the cops. Unbelievable. But it's too bad because what I just said in the last couple of minutes, those were part of my hard questions that no one in the media that did get in that day would dare ask. And also, you got to wonder, um, last month, there was that announcement, Tamara, of a Volkswagen plant being set up in southern Ontario. Um, I think it's 7.1, 7.3 billion. Lots of jobs. I'm happy about that. But when the question came to how much did the federal government and the province of Ontario uh, put into that plant, what were we told? Oh, uh, that's confidential information. That's competitive information. Hey, listen, if the federal government and the, uh, and the province of Ontario government were private corporations, I get that. It's none of our business. But we are the shareholders. We are the stakeholders. I just wonder how much of that seven plus billion for the Volkswagen 
uh, electric battery manufacturing plant is coming right out of taxpayer dollars, uh, Tamara. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you want to harbor a guess? Well, I, I, I want to actually issue a clarification because that's what I was talking about. That's what I was uh, referring to, not General Motors, but this this new plant that is being opened by Volkswagen um, to solely manufacture their golf, which will be solely electric battery powered. And so, sorry, um, I was uh, a little bit misinformed there at the beginning, but that is what I was referring to by 2028, that there will be no, they will not be manufacturing the Volkswagen Golf at Golf as a fossil fuel guzzler um, from that point forward. And, uh, and yeah, it's clear, like I said, that the government, their, their subsidies and the stakeholders involved here, that they're pushing the funding on these initiatives without fully thinking through how this is going to function on the ground. We don't have the infrastructure for the charging stations. Sheila has done numerous reports, order paper questions, access to information requests on this. We see that, you know, especially in the northern countries where batteries of this caliber are not going to be able to withstand those harsh cold temperatures. There just isn't the infrastructure there to withstand any of this. We know that there are safety concerns with electric vehicles. Um, Fossil fuels seem to be working really well thus far. And as long as our government stops taxing the bejesus out of us on them, uh, they're pretty cost effective. And if we can, you know, filter out this bureaucracy that's generating so many funds on top of the cost of the fuel, then that brings it down even more. And you have, you know, leader of the opposition, uh, Pierre Polyev, really pointing out once again the uh, hypocrisy of the bureaucracy with his this April Fool's Day joke, which actually is just a joke on struggling Canadians who can't afford, as I've mentioned, to heat their homes or feed their families. They're going to be paying more at the pumps, which is just going to further translate into increased costs at the grocery store for the transportation of all of your goods and services. Everything is going to continue to inflate because of this tax. We have world hunger. Um, We have so many global issues that could be easily remedied by these billions of dollars. And yet our government tells us that we need to get taxed more to save, to, to fight climate change. I'd like to know how tax helps the earth (laughs) at the end of the day, right? It boils down to that. A hundred percent. And I just want to also state here, uh, Tamara, if there was a business case for these electrical vehicles, then why does government have to come in with these huge subsidies? And the answer is the business case for the vast majority of Canadians who are not stinking rich, these are too expensive. You're looking at six-figure vehicles. In order to liken it to, Tamara, back in, I remember, um, around 1977, you saw the first um, push for VCRs on the market, back when there was uh, Betamax and VHS and, and that war. And in 70s dollars, I remember you had to pay in the neighborhood of $1,600 for a VCR. Can you imagine that? So if you want to be a trailblazer, you are going to pay a huge price. We are in the infancy of EV vehicles. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. The Ford F-150 Lightning, which is an all-electric Ford F-150 pickup truck. I remember seeing this reported in Car and Driver. So these are U.S. numbers. 69,000 U.S. 
is the truck. But get a load of this, and I've never seen this ratio before in my life. The dealer markup, $73,000 more than the actual truck itself. So in other words, Tamara, you could buy two top-of-the-line fuel-burning F-150s for the price of one uh, Ford 150 Lightning EV. Um, that That's not smart. Who, who would, who would invest? And, and also, in the early goings of electrification, um, you want a track record for that vehicle of at least a few model years so they can iron out all the bugs. So, you know, it, it's not a good gamble by the manufacturers and God forbid consumers going into debt to buy one of these EVs, not a good move. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say the reliability of fossil fuel manufactured vehicle is going to be far superior than anything you're going to, to get with these uh, electric vehicles. But I think that we should take a quick ad break because we're going to come back with some uh, Trans Visibility Day Madness. Oh, so no. you don't want to miss our next topic because we're launching a new campaign. So stay, stick around after this ad break. Oh, hey guys, thanks or for watching the live stream and sorry for interrupting, but I just wanted to pop on to tell you about this incredible sweatshirt that I'm wearing, but also all the other great merchandise that we have available at rebelnewsstore.com. We're adding new stuff all the time. So be sure to keep checking. Even if you shop today, there might be something new tomorrow. And if you are shopping, be sure to use the coupon code Sheila10 for 10% off at checkout. Again, it's rebelnewsstore.com, coupon code Sheila10 for 10% off at checkout. If you want to look good and shine like me, you can do so at our store. Go to rivenewstore.com. On this website, you have so much different style to wear as this one, my favorite one, Justin Castro. With my code Alexa10, you will have 10% off on your next purchase. So don't hesitate, go now and look so good like me. Have you checked out the fresh new swag we have at rebelnewsstore.com? Like this nifty resistance trucker sweater. We have warm, cozy sweaters, t-shirts, mugs, hats, phone cases, you name it. Everything to fit your freedom-loving needs or maybe even trigger a liberal family member or friend. And for a limited time, you can use code TAMERA10 at checkout to save 10% off of your total order. So head on over to rebelnewsstore.com Check out all of our new designs, make some purchases, and use code TAMARA, that's T-A-M-A-R-A, -A -A, 10 at checkout for 10% off your order. Head on over, check it out. Oh, Tamara, you look resplendent in that ad. Uh, am, am I allowed to say that <laughs> or this... am I going to get written up by HR? Do we have an HR <laughs> Obviously also, not. I'm not easily triggered. <laughs> I'm not easily triggered, David. Thank you very much. But you should head over because we have new designs. And uh, you can see I'm sporting one of our Rebel sweaters here. They're nice and comfy and use code Tamara 10 as always the best one. Um, now we have a, an absolutely crazy story coming yeah. out of Vancouver from this past weekend. I guess it was trans visibility day because, you know, they there's not there's a lack of visibility there, apparently. Um, but uh, an activist who really is is trying to uphold 
the fact that children and adolescents cannot consent to some of this very aggressive um, treatment in terms of medical transitioning. And, um, you know, we've seen this, the, the indoctrination happening at the school level and arguably all throughout the uh, our society. But Billboard Chris has been a really big name in denouncing gender ideology and specifically as it targets youth, minors and younger children, younger and younger children. Yep. Um, and just this past weekend at a protest, he was assaulted by, you know, that crowd that says um, love is louder, I think is, is their mantra and inclusivity yeah. and tolerance and and love Trump's Us. hate, right? Isn't yeah, that one of well, their love is louder. Notes? I think it's yeah. love is louder than hate. Um, and so we're going to show you some clips first and foremost so that you can see for yourself what happened here uh, in Vancouver over the weekend. And then we're going to tell you what Rebel has is going to be doing about it. Um, so first, I think we have the first clip where Billboard Chris has been assaulted and the police have been called in, you know, to keep the peace, I think, is what their duties are supposed to be in a situation like this and potentially make arrests um, while they investigate a situation where an assault has taken place. Uh, and this was kind of the response that the Vancouver Police Department met Chris with. Listen, I, I love the police. My brother's a police officer. I respect law and order, I respect our charter rights and freedoms. And I'm not trying to be a, a jerk to you earlier today. I don't think a lot of you understand what I'm actually representing right on, and so the seriousness of this situation. But it is what it is, I guess. I just, this is Canada and people shouldn't be allowed to assault people without consequence, I, I you know? It doesn't really matter who does the first push. It's considered a consensual fight, and maybe that's something you should. I didn't. No, no. You. That's. I didn't get into people's faces. I was here for. You you weren't very close to people. You weren't here. You weren't even here. I was. I came and walked. I came out. I came over to your car. Yes, the first time. After. The second time. The second time what? Where you were pushed on the ground. Are you kidding me? I'd walk. We. I'd been walking away from them. Yeah, and they surrounded To do an interview with him. They came close. I walked away okay. again to do the interview All with him. They surrounded your brother what a consensual fight. <laughs> is, right? Oh my gosh. This is unbelievable. I walked away from them three times. They were surrounding me. You all were doing nothing. A man yelled at my a man yelled in my ear from inches away and I tried to get out of this situation where they're surrounding me while you guys do nothing and I immediately get punched in the face. And you're blaming me? Are you kidding me right now? This is, no, this is totally surreal. I cannot believe what I'm hearing. Amazing. Amazing. Totally amazing. Do you even know what, what, like, why are you behaving like this? Do you think I'm evil or something for having this position? Like, what's your problem? This should Excuse be an issue me, for you. This has nothing to do with you, okay? What happened? Right. I'm a female. It has nothing to do with me, this trans thing. No, no. Nothing to do I, with women. 
I'm talking to somebody else about something, okay? Uh, it, it doesn't, these conversations are pointless right now. You're trying to, now you're trying to insinuate that that was a mutual thing. Like, my gosh, mutual thing. I'd walked away from the crowd three times. They kept following me. Then they surrounded me from all sides, okay. started yelling in my ear from inches away while you all did nothing. And then when I can't even get out of that surrounding and I get punched in the face, I get pulled. You're telling me that's a mutual engagement? Yes, it is. <laughs> wow. Well, you have the incredible. Right, you have the right not to be here either. It's incredible. Right? So, and I have the right to be here. Yes, you do. Have but, you read this thing called the Charter of Rights and Freedoms? Yes, I have. Have you? Yes, I have. You should go home and read it again. Well, on whose orders are you guys acting on? Excuse me? On whose orders are you guys acting on? Oh my God, uh, Tamara, imagine, God forbid, you were ever being assaulted out West and that police officer uh, comes to the, uh, to the scene of the crime. She, as, as Billboard Chris said, three times he walked away and they followed him, they surrounded him. We've got some more footage coming, over to, uh, coming up, folks, and you'll see just how bad it was. And he got slugged with a haymaker and officer, what is her name? Buckman, I believe. Is that correct? Buckman, yeah. Buckman. It's, I officer think it's Buckman. Frederick. Yeah, who cannot suppress that Christia Freeland Cheshire cat grin. I don't know what she finds so amusing about it. She called it, correct me if I'm wrong, a consensual fight? That was a mugging. <laughs> Well, why don't we show the actual assaults here? Absolutely. Because that was kind of the aftermath. So yeah. let's show you. And I think this was actually the second assault. So this is after the police have already arrived and they're supposed to probably prevent further assaults from happening. But nonetheless, this is what happened. Oh, and I'm hearing that this may be actually the first assault because oh. there's, and it's so hard to keep track of because yeah, exactly. there were so many assaults and it's only the citizen journalists who are documenting this and it's happening in real time. And so um, we do have, we do have a space where you're going to be able to learn more and find the facts and the series of events and how this unfolded. But um, I think this is in fact the first assault. Why, why do you think they're, they're getting that kind of representation? I mean, it uh, clearly was uh, aggressive, violent assault. You suck. You suck. Fuck no, this you. is the second assault. Fuck you, you're not wanted. Fuck you. You're, you're this is a the second idiot. one. You're a fucking I don't know what to say. Fuck I guess you. these police officers are mostly indoctrinated as well. They're afraid of the mob. I think, I think they're afraid that if they do anything to actually keep law and order, that they'll end up being on the end of this verbal abuse. So it's just cowardice from everybody all around. People probably want to know, how do you keep your composure? What's up? How do you keep your composure? Fuck you. Fuck you. So, yeah, yeah. So this is the second assault because the police are already there. So they were called after the first assault. And that's when the interaction started with this officer, Frederick Bachman. And I hope I'm pronouncing both the first and last name correctly. Um, but we actually have I, I shared in the uh, the producer's chat here. There's some zoomed in footage that I wonder if we could just pull up of her face as this second assault is taking place. You mean so his someone face. Had, 
No, the, sorry, the officer's face. Oh, so I she see. Is in fact, okay, a female. There, so you see her in the background there. So she's been circled. And then um, there's another photo that they, you know, you can see that she's like looking on with gleeful bliss almost. Um, it's really, really strange that the officers just, you know, they just stood by, idly by. They were looking on. Um, Unbelievable. And... and, and and they, they fail to act until the situation escalates. So their job, in my opinion, is to prevent something like that from happening. So when you see someone who's just standing there and Billboard Chris, you know, he has these signs. And I think the front said, like, children can't consent. Yeah. And on the back, he's wearing a dad with the noun and the the dictionary, a definition of what a dad is <laughs> or a man, maybe. I, I'm not clear on what ones he was wearing that day, but those are kind of his usual M.O., um, and so as soon as you see someone like that being swarmed by an angry, aggressive mob, as police, your job is to intervene and to keep that peace and to prevent that situation from escalating. And that group, I don't know how many officers were there, 10, 15 of them yeah. stood idly by until violence occurred. And then they kind of get in there, except for that one officer who's sort of the main, I would say, villain, but they say victim in this entire unfolding. Uh, she just stood there and, and smirked and smiled and then stood back and let the rest of the police officers go in and, and handle the situation. Um, this seems more to me like some sort of diversity hire than anyone who's actually competent and fit in their duty and role. I think you're right, Tamara. So the question arises, uh, given that a crime was committed on camera, no less, several cameras for that matter, and charges were not pressed, um, was that the law enforcement uh, officer, was, was that her buying into uh, the trend side of the argument and therefore she's biased? Or is it their higher ups? Uh, you know, is it the chief? Is it the politicians above the police that are pulling the strings that, hey, when it's a transgender protest, uh, go easy on the trans people. You know, they're such lovable cuddly uh, creatures and uh, <laughs> we, we don't want to give them any aggro. You know, I'll tell you, uh, Tamara, it clearly shows that video. It was not a consensual fight. Uh, he got ambushed uh, by that thing. And it also shows, you know, if you are continually dropping F-bombs, if you are resorting to violence in a debate, well, you know what? You really don't have much of a position, do you? Because if mm -hmm. that's what your counter argument boils down to, you've lost. You've automatically lost. Once you start, you know, swearing repeatedly and being violent, forget it. And I got to tell you, too, uh, Tamara, this just shows you how wrong we were when we go back 50 or 60 years ago, when we started shutting down the mental institutions in our country. The idea was, you know, there's all kinds of new pharmaceuticals, if these people just take their pills, they'll be okay. Well, 50 or 60 years ago, that uh, blonde haired thing would have been in a mental asylum. What, what, you know it, I know that, the cops know it. But having said all that, there is no excuse for this dereliction of duty. That was disgraceful. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's exactly why we've just launched an immediate petition campaign at fireofficerbachman.com. So it's B A, sorry, uh, the actual spelling I think is B U C H M A N N. So fireofficerbachman.com. And um, 
and and have the police really investigate this situation um, because the way that this officer conducted themselves, the way that all of those officers conducted themselves, they're now putting out their Twitter feed is blown up ever since this incident. They're now saying that they are investigating and looking for these individuals. Oh. <laughs> they had them right there. They yeah. had the, the, the people involved, the assaults all took place in front of the police officer's eyes. They had them there. They didn't place any arrests. And they say now that they're investigating because of the citizen journalists on social media and the amount of backlash that they have received for not taking any action in the moment while this was all unfolding before their eyes. Um, so you can head over to fireofficerbachman.com and at that special website as well, our reporter Drea Humphrey is investigating further. Both, both she'll be interviewing uh, Billboard Chris, but she's also found the mother who was um, a, a complainant, I believe. And again, the details will come out as Drea continues her wonderful investigative reporting on the subject. But uh, this officer has been the recipient of previous misconduct allegations. So she, this isn't a new thing for this officer to act out, out of, uh, act in a way that is not professional or becoming of a police officer. She has other... Um, misconduct against her and Drea is going to be researching that further and so you can find all those reports as we investigate and launch them at fireofficerbachman.com um, and, and the other thing I want to note here too is that these two activists that were in the face of Billboard Chris yelling obscenities at him in his you know inches from his face yeah and are, you know, oh, we're, we're inclusive and loving and love is louder than hate and we must denounce hate and, and intolerance. Um, these are men identifying as women. Yep. So I think, I don't know, I can't recall where the publication came from, but there was a mainstream media article about this. And they said, um, you know, conservative activist gets into an altercation with, you know, uh, rights, a woman's rights advocate, <laughs> like alluding to the fact that, they, that they, he hit a woman. They called that the, the transgender <laughs> uh, person a, a woman's rights activist. That's not a woman's rights Something, activist. That's a misogynist. Right. Yeah. And so and so he wants this article and I'm trying to find it here, um, looking through his Twitter page. But anyway, maybe. Um, well, you look, um, Tamara. Uh, I think this is yet again another example about so-called trans rights. Post. It's Here not it about equality. It's about having special rights. And I think the message the police are sending here is if you want to get violent, if you want to get handsy, uh, just wrap yourself in the rainbow flag or the trans flag or the pride progress flag. That's the one with that uh, rectangle. The I think they call it the BIPOC vagina. Um, just put those flags around your body and you've got free lease uh, to carry out mayhem. And I'll tell you something, uh, Tamara, the, um, this is not new to me. I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go take a deep dive on this, but back in September 2019, I had my own encounter out in the Vancouver area for a notorious transgender grifter. And it was caught on camera that... He struck me with a metal cane on my head and shoulders five times. And when the RCMP came, it boiled down to this. Um, 
they were doing everything they could not to press charges. And I said, listen, this is garden variety assault. I let them see the video. And the conversation I had with one of the officers, Tamara, was, well, if we charge him, we have to charge you. I go, charge me for what? Well, mischief, mischief. I'm just practicing journalism in a public place. What are you talking about, mischief? So that's the way it was. It was almost like I felt like I was a contestant on Let's Make a Deal. They had no desire whatsoever to charge this person um, because in terms of political correctness, in terms of wokeness, you know, the, the gender politics didn't add up. Tamara, you know, mm -hmm. the bad guy was the, like I said, the trans grifter, uh, not vice versa. I can tell you this much, I bet you, as a uh, male, white, heterosexual, if the roles were um, reversed, if I was the one smashing the transgender grifter over the head with a uh, steel object, oh, what do you want to bet? I might still be in jail right now. What a disgrace. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where the New York Post, they may have corrected the article since this time, but there was a tweet that um, Billboard Chris put out um, saying that, that in the article, they were saying that he pushed a woman away at her throat. And he he clarifies and he says, I placed a hand on his chest as he continued to crowd my space, making it impossible for yeah. me to move, screaming inches from my ear. So yeah, you see, this is not very ladylike, everyone. These are men identifying as women who are acting as men, right? They're getting, he's getting aggressive and he's getting handsy with another man. Uh, this isn't ladylike behavior. Uh, Tamara, I've got to reel you in a little here. I think you just twice committed a hate crime. You said ladylike behavior in this day and age of the slut walk. Oh, you don't call these people ladies. They lose their marbles. Um, that has something to do with hierarchy or civility or something else they hate. Um, but look at that creature. I mean, uh, come on. Well, what concerns me is the pointy ends of these little flags, right? Like why the police aren't intervening here when these people have sharp objects who yeah. are clearly suffering from some mental illness and serious aggression. Um, this could have gone a lot worse than it did. Like, I mean, it's it's bad enough as it is, but it could have been a lot worse. And the Vancouver PD, as a result of what's happened here, are now claiming the victim. They say that the um, the criticisms that this officer has faced on Twitter is just unacceptable, and they're they're completely spinning. Right. There's a complete reversal here of the natural order, as yeah. per usual, where they're claiming to have been the victims in this situation, Always. not the people who were actually assaulted. Tamara, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but basically one of their shticks, for lack of a better word, they surround you, they wrap you in their flags. You're just trying to move. And yes. if your foot even touches their foot, they scream, they fall down, they call for law enforcement. I've been assaulted. It, 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 it is unbelievable. Uh, but And by the way, because um, I did see an anti-fascist flag there, you see increasingly people with the Antifa movement, which is really all about fascism with their tactics <laughs> and methods, um, they are now wrapping themselves in the rainbow flag. So yeah, there you go. You see that picture, anti-fascist. So it's almost like, oh, you know, middle finger. Oh, yeah, <laughs> always. Fitting. And again, that's how you want to have a debate. 
you know, if you're doing the middle finger, profanity, throwing haymakers, you've already lost. But what I was about to say is that Antifa is increasingly wrapping themselves in these rainbow flags and sort of, um, you know, getting a get out of jail free card by doing so. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what do our viewers think? Anyone who's tuning in on the live stream, uh, do you have any opinions on this? Any thoughts? Um, do you agree that this officer should be, you know, investigated and, and potentially fired? Um, are, are they right to be claiming the victim here? Uh, what should should have happened in the moment? You know, should they have taken action as police are hired by the public? Right. Let's not forget that these are taxpayer funded employees of ours meant to ensure our public safety yep. and keep our peace. Um, should they have intervened sooner? Should there have been some arrests made in the field? Let us know in the comments below. I think we'll go to a quick ad break yep. before we come back to hopefully some chats. And then if not, we will uh, touch quickly on the Toronto mayoral race and how they are moving to decriminalize illicit drugs for children. Shameful for children. <laughs> My mug. I know, it's pretty cool. So is this hoodie I got on, and you could have it on too if you check out our special website at rebelnewsstore.com. That's where you can see Freedom Focus hoodies that we have for you, beanies, cell phone cases, you name it, all while supporting our journalism where we fight to bring you the other side of the story as opposed to, you know, being forced by the Trudeau government to fund leftist media out of your taxes. The truth is... Without you and your generosity, there is no Rebel News. So again, if you like the reports that we bring you and that we also fight for freedoms in Canada, please consider doing some shopping, picking up some swag at rebelnewsstore.com. We appreciate your support. So Tamara, please tell me my eyes are playing tricks on me or that this is a um, April Fool's Day joke two days past its best before date, but <laughs> Toronto demanding decriminalization of fentanyl and meth for kids? Oh my gosh. I wish it were an April Fool's Day joke. Actually, this was this first came out on March 31st, so it's a couple of days old. That was on Friday. Um, so yeah, the, the city of Toronto, the first uh, sentence reads here, has released its sweeping plan to decriminalize all hard drugs, including fentanyl and crack cocaine for any age. And the sweeping plan, you can check it out for yourself there with the hyperlink. Toronto's request is even more lenient than the decriminalization order granted to the entire province of British Columbia by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau earlier this year. The city is asking that the federal government grant a Health Canada exemption for all drugs, extending even to children. Unbelievable. In British Columbia's case, they granted uh, the exemption only applied to adults. But uh, Toronto wants it to include all people, including youth. Because criminalization does not effectively deter youth substance use. The data show that youth in Toronto between the ages of 12 and 17 use unregulated, i.e. illegal, drugs and are vulnerable to the same harms associated with criminalization as adults. Uh, this exemption does not apply to childcare facilities, airports or schools, right? Because oh. those places need to be safe and we need to not promote the use of illicit drugs in those facilities. Um, but nonetheless, this is just more woke 
bogus policy trying to be pushed forward by the city of Toronto, I guess because they don't really have a mayor. And so the mayor, the official uh, candidacy, I think it is, kicks off today there, David. Yeah, no, there's the first day to register for mayor. And I think you're right. Uh, when the cat's away, the rats will play. And, you know, Tamara, it, it is unbelievable. I mean, like, why just um, fentanyl and meth? Um, if you're a drunk driver, you've lost your license, maybe had a serious accident, maybe you killed somebody so you don't have access to your car anymore. Why don't we reach out to that alcoholic staying at home and bring him uh, bourbon and scotch so uh, he doesn't uh, get a case of withdrawal? You know, Tamara... Uh, a week ago Friday, I was attending, it was a business association dinner out in Scarborough. Uh, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith was being uh, given an award. And I, I won't go too deep into the details, but in her acceptance speech, she talked about how Alberta is serving as a model for the rest of Canada and indeed, dare I say, the world in terms of dealing with those addicted to these hard drugs. And essentially... You know, the police go over and they say, listen, you have a choice. You can go into rehabilitation or you can go to jail. So they almost always choose rehabilitation. When they're there, they're put into facilities that look like college dormitories. And um, they are they live in a communal basis. Um, they're taught, once again, because you have to introduce, for some of these people, they've been so dehabilitated for so long uh, they can't function alone. So you teach them how to cook, how to shop. And half the day is spent, you know, doing chores. Uh, the other half of the day is spent, um, you know, taking seminars, uh, taking those programs that are designed to get you off these horrible drugs that when used as directed are going to end your life. That's how we should be taking care of this issue, not facilitating more consumption, because otherwise, mm -hmm. you know, it's a really a tale of two cities. You can have the Alberta model or you can go to Vancouver and you can go to certain parts of the of the downtown area that look like the set for the walking dead. They are dangerous places. I side with the Alberta model. Yep. I side with the fact that this is further enabling an issue. And we can see that through harm reduction policies, that there isn't very much harm that's actually being reduced. We have more overdoses, more use of illicit drugs than ever before in the places where these progressive policies have been welcomed and taken up by uh, government officials. And, um, and again, it's taxpayers footing the bill to give drugs to addicts instead of getting them the help and the mental health supports that they need, right? It's not just drug addiction. I will fully acknowledge that there is a whole litany of mental health issues, usually stemming from childhood trauma that takes place and is the precursor to addiction. And we need yeah. to be addressing and facilitating mental health supports and, and support for that child, dealing with and addressing that childhood trauma that stems as and turns into the need and the, the feelings of utilizing drugs and addiction. If we spent the billions of dollars that we're giving to big pharma to fund use of illicit drugs and giving them to children on the streets, if we switched and we put that money over into mental health supports that were actually providing tangible resources to individuals who need that sort of care, then I think you're going to be looking at a much cleaner, more functioning 
societal fabric outcome at the end of the day than just enabling drug addiction and letting people spiral out of control with their addictions under the guise of being progressive and 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 humane, right? This is sold to the public as those things. Meanwhile, you're ignoring the root of the issue and you're just enabling an addict to destroy their lives and everyone around them. No, I, you're 100% right, Tamara. And when we add the age equation to this, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this child abuse? I mean, you, you know, if, if a mom-pa convenience store sells a pack of cigarettes to somebody who's just even a few months under the age of majority, uh, they're going to get heavily fined, eventually lose their liquor license. You know, you can go to an, a liquor control board of Ontario store, and if you have somebody who's a minor even uh, holding um, a bottle for you to bring to the cash register, um, that's not allowed, right? So mm -hmm. there's all this, you know, regulation out there in terms of, you know, protecting minors from things like liquor, tobacco. But when, when it comes to these hardcore fentanyl, are you kidding me? I mean, right. uh, uh, Tamara, like I said, in my book, that is child abuse by the state. Absolutely. Yeah. And you bring, bring up a good point there on the tobacco. You know, I remember as a kid, my mom sending me to the corner store, I go pick up a, you know, here's $5 at the time, right? That's how much they were, maybe even less. Go pick me up a pack of cigarettes. And she had to send me with a note. And sometimes they had to call. And that was, you know, in very early on in the, uh, would have been the early 90s and uh, the convenience store used to give me a pack of cigarettes but you know fast track five ten years afterward you couldn't go into a convenience store and purchase a pack of smokes if you didn't have id to show on you for the life of you uh, and, and um and now <laughs> we're just going to be giving those minors fentanyl i mean wow we've really come full circle haven't we oh you know tamara it's worse than you say because the government I know Ontario does this. I'm sure the other provinces do. They stage sting operations. So they get somebody who looks that like they're older than um, 18, but in reality, they're 16 or 17. And basically, if the shop owner doesn't ask for government photo ID, uh, they're fined. And, and I think it's three strikes and you're out. Uh, eventually you lose your tobacco license, which for a variety store, that's an economic death sentence. So yeah, and, and by the way, you are right. I remember, you know, back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s for my grandparents, we lived on Lawrence Avenue. I'd go to the variety store with a $2 bill. Remember those? Uh, once yes, upon a time, kids, there was no such thing as a toonie. There was I this do. pink $2 bill and a handwritten note you know, uh, please give David a pack of Craven A King Size. <laughs> I even remember the brand, right? Oh my God, if you were to do that today, like I said, you risk losing your license, but apparently uh, meth, fentanyl for children because the government is the drug dealer, that's okay. This is despicable. Yeah, I agree. Well, and I wanted to, to go back to this True North article quickly because at the very last sentence, um, it says, at the same time, Toronto has moved to introduce a pilot program to allow drinking in public parks. So get this, David, we have alcohol, we have fentanyl, and we have meth, and we have minors. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, if, if it's someone in a park having a picnic and they're responsible, I mean, you see this in Europe all, all over the place. There really isn't a problem. But 
as you know, Tamara, many of Toronto's parks and with the warmer weather coming, you'll see uh, as sure as mosquitoes and flies become part of the, the fabric, you're going to see these tent cities pop up. And um, yeah, I, you can, I can see liquor uh, binging going on there. And you're right, uh, a mentally ill person who has an access, who has access to um, oh, big dangerous dogs. Um, what could possibly go wrong, especially after they're drugged up or liquored up? It, unbelievable. It truly is in this pilot program. Yeah, let's. Well, I guess we'll wait and see how it turns out. And depending on who the new mayor of Toronto will be, uh, I assume will be a big part of whether or not these projects go forward. You know, Tamara, it is fascinating who the mayor is going to be. The field gets more crowded with every passing day. And, you know, when you look at all the vote splitting that might happen, conceivably, somebody might become mayor with a single digit percentage. In other words, 9% of the vote and you're carried in. I mean, not really a mandate to boast about, is it? No, definitely not. But there's a couple contenders. And have you been following it? You've probably been following it closer than I have. I know that, you know, Ben Bankus, uh, the comedian is running, Chris Sky, the freedom yeah. fighter, um, he's running. And then the, there was a latest one, a former police chief. Um, Mark oh, Saunders. What is his name? Mark yes, Saunders? thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah no, and so, and you know, Oh, go ahead. If someone like him were to be elected, I would assume that pilot projects such as this would not move forward. Yeah, um, I want a tough on crime mayor for sure. And I do love Ben Bankus for proving my theory correct. Whenever he's making a video statement, he's waving the trans flag. <laughs> it, it's kind of like, you know, standing behind uh, Superman's cape of invulnerability, you know, that no matter. And he's not even talking about trans issues. He's just waving it as though it's a, a, a magic wand to protect them from any criticism. Because if you take issue with any of uh, Ben Bankus's platforms, well, uh, you are obviously a transphobe and there can be nothing worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. If you haven't seen some of his comedic relief, I highly recommend because it's uh, it's pretty funny. Um, but nonetheless, we are at 207 now. So we are going to say goodbye to our viewers at home. Mm -hmm. But I think it will be myself and David or maybe even Ezra back same time and place tomorrow. Yes. Um, so be, it is be sure you, to stay tuned. Tamara Ugolini and the big boss man himself, Ezra Levant. Uh, Lincoln and I will be, how shall I put this? on assignment that and we really are Mission we're not specialist. goofing off right so we'll be somewhere in the uh, greater toronto area doing some form of journalism and if it pays off it's going to be a whopper of a story and that's all i'm going to say about that so thanks again to uh, super producers efren and olivia thank you tamara for your time thank you for all the viewers that watched us and as we said come here uh, at um one o'clock eastern tomorrow, Tuesday, and you'll get more of Tamara Ugolini and the always brilliant Ezra Levant. As always, stay safe and stay sane. Uh, less than a week after the safe third country agreement was amended, eight people died attempting to cross the border by boat. Are you concerned that the changes you've made to the safe third country agreement are going to encourage riskier crossings? Of course, uh, the tragedy uh, is immeasurable. Uh, we think of the families 
uh, and the uh, extraordinarily difficult moments that were the last for these families, including uh, young kids. Um, we can't even imagine what they're going through. We need to be there to support uh, families and folks like them. But I, I want us to be very, very careful about jumping to conclusions. This was a horrific story. Uh, and there is a proper investigation going on. We need to understand all the facts involved uh, before we draw conclusions. But we do need to make sure we're doing everything we can and continuing to do everything we can to remain an open and welcoming country with a rigorous and well-applied immigration system that also protects the most vulnerable. That's what we'll continue to do.